Welcome to the Federation of Asian Canadian Lawyers, Faculty of British Columbia podcast. We are a diverse coalition of Asian Canadian legal professionals. We promote equity, justice, and opportunity for Asian Canadian legal professionals and the community. We foster advocacy, community involvement, legal scholarship, and professional development. The purpose of this podcast highlights the diverse and unique members of our community. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Welcome to the Faculty BC podcast. My name is May Ao, and it's my privilege to be one of the guest hosts. I'm a legal counsel at Lululemon and also a member of the Faculty BC membership committee. I'm especially thrilled to introduce our guest today, Jacqueline Leong. Jacqueline is senior legal counsel at Ritzia, where she leads the employment law team supporting all workplace and immigration matters across Canada, U.S., and abroad. She provides strategic guidance to Ritzia's leadership team and internal departments as Ritzia expands into new markets and grow its e-commerce business. Jacqueline previously practiced at Ferris LLP as part of their labor and employment and litigation groups and in-house at TELUS and as part of their litigation team. She also volunteers as a mentor through Faculty BC's mentorship program. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast, Jacqueline. Thanks so much, Maeve. Uh, it's a pleasure to uh, be speaking with you and, and to be part of this podcast. Very happy to, to be here. Jacqueline, before we get started into more substantial legal discussions, I'd like to ask you, what is one of your favorite restaurants in Vancouver and what are your favorite dishes there? My favorite restaurant, and anytime anyone asks me this question, it's always the same answer, is the Nom Pen restaurant in Chinatown. Are you familiar with it? Oh, I love Nom Pen. One yeah. of my favorites. Sometimes I'm surprised that there's some Vancouverites that are still not familiar with it. So I, I love recommending it to people and I love recommending it to out-of-towners. It's a Cambodian restaurant in Chinatown for those that are not aware, but they also serve Vietnamese and kind of other dishes there as well. My favorite dishes there are butter beef, which is kind of like a beef mm-hmm. carpaccio, beef look lak, which is a Cambodian dish, and their chicken wings, which are highly addictive. <laughs> You've mm-hmm. never had I think they're the best in the city. I've had beef luklak traveling in Cambodia before. And while it was very good there, I actually think the beef luklak at, at this Nom Pen restaurant is even better. Uh, it's, oh, cool. it's so good. That's definitely my hands down favorite restaurant in Vancouver. Oh, awesome recommendation. I know it's super, super hard to get a spot at Nom Pen. Do you have any tips? Uh, as to how you secure your seats? Yeah, I have a couple tips. So uh, one, live in the area, which I do. (laughs) But but two, another tip I have is if you have the time, go put your name down on the list and then they'll usually tell you it's an hour or so and then plan to have maybe a drink or an appy at one of the Mm -hmm. other close by restaurants. Great tips. I'm definitely going to use them because for me, I always, always, I love Nam Pen, but my partner does not like waiting at restaurants and Nam Pen is oh, yeah. always impossible. If you go there, you probably have to wait at least 30 minutes to an hour and sometimes even an hour and a half. Thank you yeah, so much. It's, it's just that good. <laughs> well, diving deeper into your in-house counsel experience and your work experience in general, what was your journey to become an in-house lawyer and especially in the fashion industry? And what were some of the defining milestones for you? I think like a lot of in-house lawyers, I started off in private practice. I articled and practiced with a large firm in Vancouver, focusing on labor and employment law, as well as sort of general litigation being commercial or, or civil litigation. So in that 
law firm, I got valuable hands-on experience running my own files. I juniored uh, a lot as well on some bigger files with senior litigators. So having that juniorring experience is also very valuable, I found. Mm-hmm. I also found a really great mentor there that I continue to connect with regularly. I find that the experience that I had at that firm, I've been able to kind of take those mm-hmm. skills and those connections with me today. Uh, a defining moment for me ultimately was after several years of working at that firm doing uh, in private practice, I realized the law firm business was not for me. And when mm-hmm. I found an opportunity to go in-house at TELUS, practicing employment law and litigation, I really seized that opportunity. But I did have to go through the mental exploration of, mm-hmm. am I ready to go in-house? What does in- going in-house mean? What does leaving private practice mean for me? Ultimately, I felt it was a win-win situation for me to continue practicing in the areas that I really preferred and enjoyed, but not Mm -hmm. necessarily continuing in the business of law and really Mm -hmm. going in-house in an organization where I could really directly participate and have a direct impact on the business that I really cared about. As I mentioned, the defining moment for me was kind of switching those tracks Mm -hmm. in my legal practice. In terms of finding my way to the fashion industry, I was at TELUS for several years as well and and later found my way to Aritzia where when an opportunity came up to develop and lead their employment law portfolio there, Mm -hmm. that was one of my really preferred areas of practice. And when I had the opportunity to go to Aritzia, I seized upon it. That was another defining moment for me to really develop more as an in-house lawyer and really own that portfolio. And so I continue my legal practice at Aritzia. I regularly advise senior leadership and other internal partners there. I've become a go-to resource for those partners. Similarly, to tell us, I continue to see the the fruits of my labor and the decision-making processes and the infrastructure that we're building as a company as we grow. I'm very passionate about the Aritzia brand, the product, and our value proposition of everyday luxury for our clients. I was very excited to be able to join the Aritzia team. So that was another defining uh, moment for me in my career. That's excellent. It must be so nice to be able to wear the products that you've helped creating. Yeah, I can't take the credit for creating it, but yes, definitely the legal support in different facets of of creating the product and supporting the the people functions in creating and helping to develop and and promote the product. Yeah, definitely I feel uh, a lot of achievement in being able to participate in that process. Have you always known that you wanted to practice employment law or for you, was it an exploration? I did know that I wanted to practice employment law somewhat early on, not necessarily exclusively, but I was quite interested in through law school. Prior to joining law school, I I worked for a few years with Service Canada. I don't know if they still have these, but they used to be called Service Canada Centers for Youth. Every summer, university students, including myself, would... um, be hired to run these centers in different uh, areas of um, BC and in, in particular in Vancouver in my case. We would assist students and youth find jobs in, in mm. their local communities. We'd also advise them on their legal entitlements, legal rights. And mm. so 
advising them on that and studying and researching that really led me into employment law and knowing I have a passion there. Funnily enough, though, when I went into law school, I, I had some thoughts I might be a criminal lawyer. And, and while I did summer with the Department of Justice and, and got really valuable in-court experience, I ultimately pivoted to more civil litigation, which did include employment law. And that's truly where uh, I found my, my calling. That's excellent. It must be so rewarding to wear the products that you've contributed to, as well as combine your past experience, as well as your love for helping people as it comes to you in like your everyday job. Yeah, I really do find it, I found a great niche for myself. And as I mentioned earlier, it is win-win. I'm able to continue my legal practice within a company that, as you mentioned, I'm passionate about the products and I get to, to literally wear the products um, and I'm wearing one today. So. Yeah. <laughs> How is the Aritzia legal department organized? You lead the employment team. How do you interact with the different um, sub teams in the legal department? And then how is workflow organized and divided? And what is sort of your typical day like? In terms of how the legal team or our legal department is organized, well, we've grown over the last two years to support Aritzia's uh, very rapid growth. Our general counsel leads the legal department. It's comprised of the employment and a corporate commercial and intellectual property portfolio. And we're still building those out as we grow as well. Our in-house lawyers provide support in their respective areas to their Perspective internal partners. We do collaborate on matters where there is some overlap. I often will overlap with uh, some of my colleagues on like privacy matters. So where there's an employee privacy aspect to it, I can weigh in on that. If there are uh, service contracts that we're reviewing that kind of touch on people and culture, sometimes I get engaged to review those as well. So there is um, some collaboration among uh, my colleagues and, and the various portfolios in terms of, um, you know, how we work with our general counsel, we have individual one-on-one -on -one meetings with our general counsel, whom we update on our respective portfolios, and then we may collaborate on any more significant matters with her as well. And we meet weekly as a team. We would discuss any matters of interest or of significance that we're working on with the rest of our, our team members. And if any questions come up, we're able to have a back and forth discussion on that and get some insight and input from the others. That's actually very similar to my experience at Lululemon as well. I find that we're very collaborative. And that was one thing that I found diff slightly different from private practice. I don't know about you, because in private practice, I find that I'm um, assigned to a particular file and I'm the person working on the file. And once there's a specific issue, I would bring on my other, the counterpart. So say if I'm working a corporate file and there's an employment issue, I'd bring in the employment issue and then I don't really get to see it so much anymore. Like that part the employment team would take it over. But at Lululemon, and I don't know if it's similar for you, although we have different experts in the different fields, we talk together and you actually get to see or experience for me more of what the employment issues are like and sort of be in a discussion and learn in that way. Or what is the privacy issues like? And then sort of talk together and together work on how we can solve the problem that's a business-friendly way. Yeah, I'd say the same at Aritzia uh, and even in my experience at, at TELUS. So I, I think that the difference is more in-house versus not in-house is I think there can be more collaboration in-house because you all have the same client. 
Mm-hmm. And so when there's an aspect of it that one of your colleagues typically would handle, you often will have input or, or see the outcome of that because, you know, you're all invested in achieving the same outcome for the internal client, which is the company. That's one aspect of in-house practice that that I really enjoy, as you mentioned, the collaboration, but that we're all um, working towards that same positive outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think are valuable skills for an in-house lawyer, in-house counsel? And how about for in-house counsel in the fashion industry? Yeah, you probably already do this in your own practice. In-house counsel must know how and when to wear their legal and business hats, right? In private practice, you're generally wearing the legal hat. Of course, there are opportunities to put on your business hat there as well, but more so in the in-house function. It's not enough simply to relay to your internal partners the black and white legal principles or the legislation that you've researched. What really... Um, becomes that value add for in-house counsel is applying it to the business and offering mm-hmm. solutions to meet whatever those corporate objectives are and, and to fit within the business strategy. That really involves thinking outside the box a lot of times and being creative and offering creative solutions, not only that will comply with the law that you may be uh, advising on, but also meeting the business needs. In the retail industry in particular, I think in-house counsel should understand their respective companies, the key drivers, including the products that, that they're offering, the sales channels through which those products are being sold, the supply chain processes and, and, and issues, especially during COVID, that are rising there and the markets in which they are selling those products and, and which they're recruiting their talent pool. I also think it's, it's very helpful to understand sort of the competitive um, landscape in which you're working in. And I'm talking about the retail fashion industry, but if you're looking in any industry, understanding the, the various dynamics of the, the competitive environment. Because of the business and because we're supporting the business, sometimes it comes up that there's a tension between the legal advice. If we are in private practice, what we would give as advice to an outside client versus what actually the business wants and what the business objectives are. For you, how do you strike that balance in between, as you mentioned, being business friendly, but yet helping to protect the business and helping to mitigate the risk? We talk about the legal and and, and business hat is what in-house counsel can contribute is really understanding the business. And when it comes to that particular internal partners, what are they asking you? So understanding what are the obstacles that they need to overcome? What are the deadlines they in particular need to meet? You need to be ingrained and and personally invested in those as well in your role as in-house counsel. Because when you start looking at the law to try to help them overcome or understand those issues, having that broader knowledge of the full picture of the, the what your company's corporate strategy, and then more granular at the internal clients, what are they trying to achieve? You can tailor your advice to making sure what are, what are the true obstacles, what are the true practical issues that they need solved for, rather than giving them a memo saying, here are the legal issues. That's not going to necessarily assist them is tailoring your advice to assist them in overcoming those specific obstacles, meeting those specific deadlines, and also offering, well, if you can't 
meet that particular business deadline they, that they would like because of compliance issues or any other legal issues. What is the next alternative? Like here are some other paths to get us to succeed in the objective we're trying to meet. So not just answering their question, yes or no, because of this legal principle, but we may not be able to meet this particular deadline that the business wants, but here are some other options that similarly will meet the higher business uh, objectives. This is probably for more of our junior lawyers or maybe people not in-house. Do you find that you still give legal memos as an in-house counsel or do you find that you give legal advice more as like a discussion or through emails when you impart legal advice within the in-house counsel environment? What form does it usually take? I would definitely say the latter, but there is a time and place for memos where the internal partner wants or needs it. If the situation or the legal question at issue warrants having that set out in a very clear step-by-step manner, then a legal memo would be necessary. But I find as in-house counsel where your typical day is fielding inquiries kind of by the the, the hour or by the day, um, putting together a memo for each of those is not practical nor is it desired by um, the internal partner. They just want the answer. That often can um, happen through a, a quick email, uh, a 10-minute uh, phone call or a 30-minute group call or, or group Zoom meeting these days. To answer your question, less of the formal memos, but there's a time and place for those sometimes uh, as in-house counsel. How do you find explaining legal concepts to people who are not, like the business teams who are not legally trained? And do you find that the language that you've used has evolved from being in private practice versus in-house and as you've grown your role and responsibility in-house? I don't think that's changed so much in the sense of explaining legal principles to clients, whether they're external in private practice or or internal, is uh, putting it in clear, concise Mm -hmm terms that a lay person would understand because ultimately the recipient of that information is trying to run a business or private practice if it's an individual trying to make a a life decision and so citing off section 1.2 of the whatever act is not going to help them putting it in concise easy to understand explanations i find in private practice and in-house is the way to go for people to be able to make those important decisions What is diversity looking like in your current legal group? And what kind of inclusion efforts have you seen Aritzia done so far? Our legal team is quite diverse. We've grown in the last couple of years. Many of my colleagues have different cultural backgrounds. They speak Mm. other languages. I'm quite proud to be part of our legal team with other Asian Canadian legal professionals, especially compared to early in my my legal career at a law firm where where there were few Asian lawyers around me, especially few that I collaborated with directly. And and now Mm. I have that opportunity to do that. I was actually quite pleased to watch FacoBC's documentary, but I -hmm. I look like a lawyer. because it touched on a lot of those experiences I had early on in my career. And so now to be a, a part of a team that is so inclusive, that reflects people that look like me, essentially, and finding that representation in, in my team, as well as Aritzia as a whole, has been wonderful. Aritzia, in particular, is comprised of 85% women overall, and over 65% of our senior leadership team are women. For the third year in a row, Aritzia has made the Globe and Mail list of women lead here. It's an wow. annual benchmark reflecting executive 
gender diversity in corporate Canada. So mm. uh, it's it's been great to see that. And it really is, I see that day to day in my work, not only working with very skilled women, but also working with a very uh, skilled, diverse uh, team. In addition, Aritzia continues to build uh, upon our $1 million investment to expand and strengthen our um, diversity, equity, and inclusion program at the company. And so that's also been really great to see in my time at Aritzia. That's excellent. It's so rewarding and so exciting to see, have a company so invested in promoting various diverse groups of people who are skilled, as well as financially investing into growing that type of community. Yeah. How has COVID-19 changed the fashion industry in your perspective and the resulting legal matters in the fashion industry? As I'm sure you experienced too in your work early on in COVID, certain jurisdictions required closures of non-essential services. So that had a clear impact on our ability to serve clients at our brick and mortar boutiques. However, Aritzia was able to pivot quickly to our e-commerce business, so online, where we have seen sales increase considerably. We've had to keep on top of Canadian and U.S. COVID regulations as we um, have stores in, in both jurisdictions in terms of store closures and reduced capacity, depending on the province, state, or other local jurisdiction. And as you've seen, that went up and down. There'd be closures, there'd be reopenings or full capacity. Now we're back to reduced capacity. So really keeping on top of that across um, multiple jurisdictions with different laws. Different governments also enacted new COVID-related safety measures. So keeping on top of that, which we would apply to our boutique, our support office and our distribution center settings, as well as new COVID-related entitlements and leave provisions for employees. Aritzia supported impacted employees by continuing to pay wages during store closures and uh, for any COVID-related absences as well. And uh, we assisted employees with navigating government benefit programs such as CERB, the Canadian Emergency Recovery Benefit. That's excellent. It totally reinforces the diversity initiatives too. It seems like your Aritzia is complementing that with um, assisting your workers and your people during the hard times that COVID-19 have brought. Yeah, I was so pleased to, to, to see Aritzia really step up, especially early on during the pandemic when things were so up in the air and, and there were multiple store closures of how they um, supported their employees. And so I'm very proud to be part of a team that, that was able to do that. Because during COVID-19, there were so many changes all the time and day by day, I, I could only imagine what the large volume of work for your team would have been. How were you able to, and your team, able to navigate all of those changes and react so quickly? I think everyone pulled together for a variety of reasons, not only that everyone in the world was kind of going through this at the same time, switching to remote working from home situations, in addition, the impact to their personal lives that brings about, and, and also obviously the worry of COVID at home, but, you know, the impact that also happened in their professional lives to their actual work. There were so many industries that were directly impacted in, the, in terms of their day-to-day -day by COVID. And it, when it comes to in-house lawyers, lawyers generally, but in-house lawyers on the employment side, which is my portfolio, we were just swamped. There were just so many changes happening at such a rapid fire pace to meet 
the challenge that COVID presented to people in the workplace. And understandably, laws, uh, employment standards were being amended to ensure that people were getting leave provisions, and then vaccines rolled out, provisions relating to vaccinations. And then also not only, you know, if they got sick, but what happens if a child or family member that they were caring for also got sick. So keeping on top of all of those, and we're talking about just one jurisdiction having to, to rely on that. But then if you're part of a company that that does business and has employees in multiple jurisdictions uh, and multiple countries keeping on top of that. So our team, at least from an employment law perspective, and not only on our legal team, but also our people and culture team, really keeping up to date on those and then also supporting our employees through that challenging time, as I mentioned, all the, the personal things that, that were affecting them at home and ensuring that they were able to leverage these entitlements that the, the government was providing for them. What kind of differences post-COVID or before COVID do you find different working in-house? In, in-house, the biggest difference is the remote working capabilities that have uh, ramped up as a result of COVID and finding opportunities to continue to develop those partnerships uh, and deep collaboration in the time of COVID that we took for granted when you are face-to-face in the office, working side-by-side, having being able to have those in-person meetings, being to collaborate directly, which I think can be difficult in a remote working uh, environment, um, especially during the beginning of COVID where there were school closures. So people had their kids at home, they're having to help with online learning, but also expected to be able to support the people and partners at work that they're used to supporting and, and providing a certain service level to. I think that has been the biggest change for an in-house lawyer, well, indeed anyone, but in my experience as an in-house lawyer in the COVID era versus the pre-COVID era, which we could do and kind of took for granted being able to, to easily facilitate that in an in-office environment. But like anyone who has been working in this remote era for the last couple of years, everyone's kind of stepped up. I've seen uh, in my experience and the people around me in terms of figuring out and finding hacks to be able to be just as effective and to enjoy their work just as much in a remote work era as companies start thinking about bringing their employees back and as employees might want desire to uh, go back i'm heartened to see that there's opportunities to have hybrid work environment depending on on the kind of job you have what are some of your tips for working remotely and being connected that you would like to share with um, any junior lawyers? I think the first is logistical, is having a really good <laughs> remote work setup, having a setup that you feel comfortable in, that you're able to perform your best work, that you're not feeling distracted. But also if you live with someone or have a family, having that good support network that you're able to trade off like childcare duties or any other familial uh, mm-hmm. responsibilities that you have that you can't evade when you're both working at home at at the same time. I also think in terms of the continuing to be productive and doing good work is making sure your scheduling things and whether it's in your planner on Outlook, the meetings, making sure you you have those booked in advance, things that you, again, took for granted just because you'd be able to go in the office and pull so-and-so aside and have those conversations with them. Well, now you kind of have to (laughs) make sure you're scheduling it, putting it on your to-do list, putting it on your planner uh, and checking those things off throughout your your day or week uh, if you are working remotely. 
Jacqueline, you've had such an impressive career, first at a very reputable firm and then going to TELUS, and then now at Aritzia and leading the employment team there. Looking back for you, what is some of the advice that you would give to your early career self? So during and right out of law school, I found that most law students believe that private practice, and in particular working at a big firm, is the true mark of success as a lawyer. And so as a result, when I was considering leaving private practice to go in-house after several years of private practice, I questioned whether that meant failing as a lawyer, because I, at the time I had no desire to become a partner at my law firm or continue in private practice. And what I soon realized is that there are many different ways to practice law or to utilize your legal education and legal skills if you decide to leave practice altogether. And I think law schools are doing a better job at that now of having panels and, and, and speakers come out to schools to, to show that there are different avenues and different pathways to practicing law and utilizing your legal education. So the advice I, I would give to my younger self is to keep my mind open to other opportunities not to define success by sort of the cookie cutter law firm experience and to talk to other lawyers who took different um, paths in their own careers and what led them down that way, whether they have found personal um, satisfaction in the path they chose and what it took to get them there, what experience and skills they really had to hone to get them to where they wanted. I've had in my view, much success as an in-house lawyer at, at a, a couple of different organizations now. And I feel uh, a large sense of satisfaction, not only with my just day-to-day work, but my overall career um, progression that I feel like I would not have experienced at a law firm. That's amazing. I've said this before, but it's so amazing to see how you use your experiences, your passion, and your intellect and sort of combine them all together in your current job right now. So it must be immensely rewarding. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've definitely found the right um, fit as an in-house lawyer, getting to practice in the areas that I truly enjoy and be able to still be a lawyer, be a litigator, being able to run files when I like. Do you have any final words of advice for articling students and junior lawyers who want to work in the fashion industry? Law students or articling students should understand why they're drawn to a certain industry, understand the kind of work. So you may be drawn to the industry, but do you understand the work that that's going to entail once you're an in-house lawyer? It may be very different than what you're envisioning and understanding as well the skills and experience that, that they would need to be of value in that industry or in that organization. And of course, that, that can vary even by the organization. I would advise them to be proactive in reaching out to those within that industry they're interested in, uh, especially any in-house counsel, if that's the role they want to go into, and to get a a bit of a view into what does their day-to-day work entail, as well as their own career path to getting there, because they might have some very valuable advice of the kind of experience that would be a good stepping stone to, to getting into that kind of role. I would also advise them to do some personal research of the industry or if it's a particular company they're interested in working for, the key sort of drivers of the business and the current issues or obstacles that they may face. And also to consider what aspects appeal to you and how you can develop and apply your skill set in, in those areas. 
Thank you. Super valuable advice for all of the listeners out there. One final fun question, Jacqueline, before we close it off. What are some of your favorite Aritzia pieces of clothing or clothing that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh, there's so many. (laughs) I'm in one of the stores uh, at least every week. Well, it ranges, right? So that's the great thing about Aritzia is that Mm -hmm. different brands we have, depending on uh, what mood you're in or what environment you're going to be using the clothes and we have something for everything. So these days I've been really enjoying like the TNA suits. There's a sweatpants, sweatshirts, hoodies. The super puff jackets are are awesome. I just got a super puff vest that I really love. If you're looking for things to wear as in-house counsel or, or for work when you're going to the office or going out, I really love the different pants that we have out now. We're actually pr- putting them out in different lengths because I'm not a tall person. So we have some <laughs> length options now in some of our, our pants that, that I'm really enjoying under the Wilfred and Babaton brands. I'm also not a tall person at all, so I love <laughs> I love hearing that there be shorter pants for me, so I don't have to hem them. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're so used to getting things hemmed now. It's 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 great that there are some options for us shorties. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. It's been a great pleasure having you, and I've learned so much from listening to you. It's just such a pleasure to be able to hear about your experience and to learn about what brought you in house and tips that you can give to um, junior lawyers. So we really appreciate your time and thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've had such a pleasure chatting with you and being able to to discuss some of my experiences that hopefully will be of value to your listeners. Thank you for tuning into the Fackle BC podcast. Visit our website at facklebc.ca and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at FackleBC. We hope you enjoyed our episode today and stay tuned for the next guest. If you have guest speaker suggestions, please email us at membership at facultbc.ca.